Welcome into the Forum Club. It is the morning after. We're doing this on a Monday, which is a little uh, unusual for us, Anthony Slater. But there's a reason. Uh, if you subscribe to the Forum Club, you heard our podcast last night, our breaking news emergency podcast in light of the Lakers winning the championship. And now here we are the morning after, back to break it all down, talk about what happened. Number 17 for the Lakers. I know a lot of people in Los Angeles didn't sleep because they were lighting fireworks off in my neighborhood all night. Slater, how did how did you sleep last night? I slept fine. These uh, four thirty games or uh, Pacific Coast time uh, are not bad, you know. So it wasn't too late of a night. I've been at these um, final celebrations one time in Cleveland where it the games tipped off at nine p.m. local, and you're there and you're in the arena, so you're really trying to dig and like you know you have a drunk team to try to report on. You know they get drunk after the game, and uh, so they're really talkative. So you are just in the arena as late as possible until every last person has left hearing like drunk recollections of the season that just happened. Um, so you don't get done that night till like 4 a.m. I, I got to bed a bit bit before that last night. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, it was it was funny, like, you know, just doing this remotely like we've been doing throughout this entire run. It was interesting to see, you know, Sam Amick, you know, other other reporters who were on site in the bubble, you know, tweeting kind of the, the coverage you're used to seeing from the finals of, you know, you know, players celebrating and the champagne celebration and, and reporters getting sprayed with champagne. Great video from uh, the Washington Post, Ben Golliver of, of media getting sprayed by LeBron. And, you know, my experience uh, covering this uh, remotely was a little different where I'm sitting here looking at my computer and a blank uh, Zoom screen and, a you know, a, an NBA finals backdrop. So not quite your typical uh, finals coverage um, experience, but the banners count the same. For the Lakers, you know, even from a virtual reporting aspect, yesterday, like they, th- those are some looser subjects talking on those. Oh yeah, rooms. no those, question. Not only that, like suddenly Rob Palenka is just sitting down, and you know all all these other people who they mostly try to avoid speaking in front of the camera to us during the run, and even when they do, they're very very tight lipped. They're about you know, the moment, the now, suddenly it's crazy. And I've experienced this in past years covering like the explosion of winning the title. They get really drunk. They don't care about like offending anyone anymore or like giving bulletin board material. Uh, And they're just, they're willing to just let it all out. And it, it actually makes for great reporting. Well, and you can also ask questions that never made sense to ask before. The Lakers finally accomplished something. There was actually finally context to sort of everything else um, or there's finality to all the context, I guess I should say. So like with Rob Palinka, a guy who has really been, was criticized pretty heavily a year ago for his handling of the Anthony Davis trade. Magic Johnson called him a backstabber on his way out. Um, a lot of people, myself included, by the way, I'm not going to run from this. I absolutely wrote that the Lakers were making a mistake by by hanging on to Rob Palinka, um, given, given everything that had happened over the course of the first couple of years. You know, you can't really ask him in the preseason, like, hey, you got AD, uh, what do you say to all the haters? Because the, the thing the haters point to is, well, you haven't won a championship. And so you finally, last night, Rob Palinka, 100% vindicated, delivers a championship. The roster he built steps up in the moment. Two superstars he's got. But like the, the, we, we could actually talk to Rob Palinka about what it was like to be on the receiving end of, of so many arrows, as our colleague uh, Sam Amick framed it. And and Rob was good. I mean, he talked about, you know, locking out the noise and just focusing on on the work. And that's just not something that you really 
were able to ask or could ask um, Rob before they actually had the championship because he didn't wasn't armed with the the success to be able to to speak freely about it. And so that's just an example of, of exactly what you're talking about, where LeBron can talk about delivering on all the things that he expected. He can finally honestly say what he expected and why he came to L.A., Um, and what his expectation was because he's not putting a target on his back. He's not suddenly saying, I'm going to win a championship and all of a sudden now he's going to be measured against a promise that he may or may not deliver on. He's delivered. Anthony Davis has delivered. Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, Frank Vogel. This is a huge victory lap for a Lakers franchise that the Sharks were circling for a lot of years. Um, There's a lot of schadenfreude with the Lakers organization around the league. A lot of people don't love the way they the entitlement of the fan base or what they see as entitlement in the way the organization operates. But, uh, you know, the the team itself, you know, kind of rose above all of that, particularly over the last year. And um, here we are. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, I think a lot of people don't love how it was necessarily built. It was Superstar just says, hey, I want to live in L.A. I'll go play there. Um, Superstar then power moves a fellow friend really through an agency um to get another superstar there so like you know i I think maybe the leagues and other fan bases are like man you guys weren't built organically but the one thing i would say about how the team played this year like that was like a pure disciplined basketball team winning through defense they took the regular season serious they built great habits um you know they, they kind of had a lot of uh, you know, I, I guess side contributions from guys who surprised or, or redemption stories. Like they had a lot of feel good stories within maybe an inorganically built team. But like, so to me, like nothing about the basketball product is criticizable. I mean, we can get into like, you know, again, how it was built, but impressive season overall by the Lakers on the court. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you could ever find a team in basketball history, and this would take more research than I have the bandwidth to do, but if there has ever been a team in basketball history that has won a championship without a single player on the roster that the team technically drafted. Now, there's two exceptions here, because Kyle Kuzma and Talon Horton Tucker were both draft night trades, picks that were made on behalf of the Lakers. But even still, we're talking about a team that had one player in their finals rotation that the franchise had actually drafted in Kyle Kuzma. You know, there's only two players on this team that predate LeBron James. This was a complete flipper flop situation for all my HGTV watching brothers and sisters out there. And everything about the way they did it ended up paying off. I mean, we've talked on the podcast before, Slater, about, you know, maybe it wasn't all the moves that you thought it was going to be that paid off. I mean, it wasn't the biggest money moves that paid off. It wasn't Danny Green necessarily, although Danny Green um, certainly played his role. But, you know, you really hit home runs on those minimum contracts with Dwight Howard and um, Alex Caruso and and Rajon Rondo. Um, Whereas, you know, Quinn Cook, the guy you gave more money to, ended up not being part of really part of the run. I would think it would be virtually impossible to say, here's a blank slate, go hit for the free agency market and build a championship team within the confines of the salary cap. I mean, that is a incredible achievement for this front office. And maybe it's lightning in a bottle. Maybe it's all because it's LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but I kind of can't get over it. Like at the start of this year, I thought the Lakers you know, were probably gonna be third or fourth in the West in the regular season, get to the conference finals. And I thought the Clippers were gonna be a problem. I mean, the Lakers dominated the playoffs. And I know they didn't play the Clippers, but, you know, the Clippers didn't deserve to be there. And it just, to me, it's been a wild, wild trip. And just a validation of everything that they set out to do. Well, the Clippers are a great comparison 
situation where the Clippers, if we go back a year, are sitting in a prettier situation than the Lakers. You know, they both mortgage their futures for win now stars. The Clippers, in their case, kind of did it for two at once with with Kawhi and Paul George. But yeah, they traded all their picks, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, just like all their future flexibility um, to try to win this season. Uh, And the Lakers did the same thing. And whichever of the two didn't win this year, it was going to, Man, it re- first of all, it really puts the pressure on next year for the Clippers now. But um, one, if you did get that win, suddenly everything you lost, the draft picks, Brandon Ingram, who now is turning into a max player, Lonzo Ball, all that is uh, rewarded. Um, whereas if you're the Clippers, it's like, do they want to redo on? You know, if you gave them a chance to redo that trade at this point, they might. So um, it's and, and that to me is a testament to the Lakers going, OK, we got it. We, we have the win-now components, but we need to build from the ground up and attack this season you know, with that seriousness of an approach, whereas the Clippers seem to be like, eh, we got the win-now uh, components. Let's just kind of wait till the title's ours. The Lakers were a, a team on a mission from the very beginning of the year when you go back to, I think it was 24-3 and three to start. And that's what Frank Vogel said last night. I mean, you know, he obviously believed in this team um, from the start of the year when the roster was built, thought they had the pieces to contend. But it wasn't really until they got into the thick of the regular season and started winning and winning and winning and really got off to such a hot start that like you really started to think, okay, we really have something special here. And Anthony Davis said the same thing, that it wasn't until they um, started beating some really good teams in November and December that kind of a championship sort of mentality sort of started to form around this team. Slater, one thing that happens... Uh, in a situation like this, where a team wins a championship, and you know this, is the thing that gets lost sometimes is the game that won them the championship. And game six is a blowout for the Lakers. They lead by as many as 36 points. Um, There's not a lot to unpack there, but I think there are a few things. When you look back at game six, two questions. How much did you feel like the Heat had just run out of gas from game five? Epic game five, Jimmy Butler at his very best. But then two, how much credit do you give the change in the starting lineup that Frank Vogel went to to essentially bench Dwight Howard and go small, empower AD at the five, and, and get another defensive guard in there with uh, Alex Crusoe? I, yeah, I thought it was a move we should have made earlier in the series. And, you know, maybe was, I would say the smart— By the way, you're, you're watching the game on TV like me. Like, Jeff Van Gundy says two plays into the game that he would not have made that move. I was screaming. Yeah. I well, what where I would credit Vogel is I thought he would go with the more simpler one and the one I thought was coming, which is Morris starting or even Kuzma, you know. So you kind right. of keep the lineup somewhat uh, traditional, whereas you know you go Caruso. It's actually you know you're replacing literally like your, your biggest player with maybe your smallest rotation player. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting, and I, I thought it was smart considering the matchup but that's what Vogel did well all playoffs you know he played to the matchup he made the smart moves and adjustments against Houston against Denver against Portland and then against Miami um they probably I win that game pretty easily with Dwight Howard too though in the starting lineup I think because it was just a every game that series felt like it was dictated off what the Lakers mindset and urgency going into the game was if it was serious if it was focused they were going to beat a team they're better than in the two games it wasn't which was game three which was meant i mean if they had lost this series i would have gone back to game three and go that's where they lost the series you know they, they lost it without bam without Drogic. they had complete control of the series and they were super lazy in that game and in game five 
it wasn't as bad, but it was pretty clear that they just like they they arrived for their coronation without going and winning it. You know what I mean? Um, whereas, and you know, Frank Vogel talked about it yesterday. The misery of of that night really fueled what was about as urgent and serious of a Lakers mindset as we've seen defensively, particularly because that's where you usually see it. And that was a, as good a defensive game as they probably played all season, and they played a bunch of good ones. Um, so. I just think they win that game. Lineup change or not, and I do think it was a smart lineup change, they were just going to win last night because they came to win last night. We'll be back after this. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. I almost felt like the Lakers needed that game five punch in the mouth. I mean, obviously Danny Green hits that shot and it's over. I mean, nobody's complaining, but um, I didn't love everything about game five. You know, switching into the Mamba jerseys, I thought was tempting fate a little bit. AD going gold-plated shoes. It, you're, I think you're right. They, they showed up expecting the coronation. There's a difference between a confident team expecting to win and assuming that you're going to win. And I felt like appropriate they... Appropriate fear. That's the uh, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr term. You have to have appropriate fear that you're going to lose. You know, they had closed out their first three series in five games. I think there was such a narrative that made sense for them to close it out in five that they that they not forgot, but sort of just stepped away from the fear or the commitment it takes to close close out a team like Miami. Like, yeah, and I, so I think the Lakers deserve to lose game five. And I think that made, frankly, I think it made the, the series a little sweeter that you got punched in the mouth and you had to counter one last time. It wasn't just a, a victory lap. I mean, it was in the end, but it wasn't, you know, a five game, you know, gentleman's sweep, if you will. It was a series. It was a series and it ended up being, you know, a, a trouncing in the very end. And I thought, you know, it was nice that LeBron was able to have his moment a little bit more in a blowout. Danny, obviously it would have been about LeBron no matter what, but Danny Green hits that three, you know, we're focused on this all-time great, you know, game winner to deliver a championship. And some of the important thematic storylines of this season would have gotten lost, I think, in, you know, kind of the the fervor of such a dramatic uh, delivery of a championship. I think it worked out well for this Lakers team to have kind of a a walk-off sort of party. But they only got the party because of the work they did in the first half. And that's, I think they showed up in game five expecting to have what they had in the second half of game six. Yeah. I mean, I guess takeaway number one, I mean, story tonight's LeBron, just because it's, there's so much history at stake here, not only just delivering to a, a historic franchise, their 17th title, but his fourth, um, which levels him up a bit. It's his third franchise he's done it for. He did get the finals MVP, which, you know, I know we were on our last podcast, our last full podcast, discussing that we thought Davis was the favorite going into game five. And I stand by that. I think he was the favorite going into game five. Yeah, no question in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I thought LeBron won at the last couple of games. I mean, he was awesome. <laughs> he was 
the player in game five while Davis is kind of limping around. Now, Davis was awesome in game six defensively. I do want to get into what this means for him. I wrote a big thing on the website about it. Um, but I, this was LeBron dragged him across the finish line, not Davis. He dragged just the franchise across the finish right. line. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's properly now, I think, much more legitimately in this greatest player of all time debate with. MJ, we don't have to get deep into those details, but I mean, this is a great moment for him. To me, it was just the delivery on the promise that he made by showing up. You know, he didn't have to say, I'm going to win a championship in LA for that to be the agreement that he was making with the organization, with the fan base, with the city. You don't come to a franchise like the Lakers if you are someone like LeBron James, if you are not prepared to shoulder the burden of needing to deliver. And by God, I mean, he did it. I mean, he didn't just do it. He did it in year two. He did it two years after he joined a team that had, you know, all those young guys we talked about, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Kuzma, Zubats even. It was, you know, a completely different culture, roster, and organization before LeBron showed up. And listen, they, they remade this thing in his image in the snap of a finger. I know the first year was a bad one. It was a blip. You know, he got crushed for a lot of things. Um, again, I was right there at the, at the at the front of the mob. But, you know, year two, when once the organization was able to sort of catch up to what it meant to have LeBron and how you build around LeBron, it was all systems go. And I just think that it, from a legacy standpoint, this is different from going to Miami and teaming up with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. This is different from going back to Cleveland and joining forces with Kyrie Irving. This was a much bigger legacy risk for LeBron. This was a much harder championship to get. I think it was a much harder road. I mean, obviously, the championship that he won in Cleveland was probably his least likely championship just because of, of the team he had and the fact that he was going up this season. The, the 73 wins three one, one. too. I mean, that was the, the record season. Right. Not yeah, not just yeah, not just not just the dynasty, that particular year of the dynasty. That championship was probably harder, but he also had a much clearer path to the finals year after year in Cleveland. And listen, I think if you give LeBron, you know, four straight shots in the finals, he's probably gonna steal one of them, regardless of who you know, who, who's around him. So, so I think Cleveland was still the hardest championship, but the least likely one was the Lakers. When you consider where he, you know, where the franchise was when he arrived and all the things that had to happen for this to actually get pulled off. So I think that this has been um, a much greater accelerant in the, the greatest of all time debate that we hate so much um, and, has, and has given him more of a leg up in that conversation than any single championship has up to this point. Yeah, and he's 35. I mean, that that shouldn't be ignored. Sure. He's going to be 36 in December, which, you know, because of how late this NBA season gone, it's like two months away. Um, and, I mean, that that in itself makes it much harder than his last titles where he was, what, 32, 33, and then you go back into like 27, 28 range. I actually think the path turned out to be pretty easy in the West, if we're being honest. Agreed. I mean, because you get... A Blazers team, whatever, in the first round. That was easy. Uh, the Rockets really faded. The, the Westbrook-infused Rockets were not the threat that, that a Chris Paul Rockets, you know, a couple years earlier would have been. Um, and, you know, should have been the Clippers. And, and it is not the Lakers' fault that the Clippers crumbled, but they did. So it ended up being the Nuggets, who were like uh, Mike Conley three away from losing in the first round ended up being the conference finalists into a heat who were the five who were the fifth seed in the east and i the, the heat were a valiant opponent um but i i do think the on-court path was kind of tailor-made for them to, to to walk their way to a title a bit especially because they were so healthy um but i think what you're saying is right like th- 
if you look at it as a two year, two and a half year project that he took on, that's where the challenge was there. And he succeeded again. And he succeeded just like with putting it, you know, he puts his imprints everywhere. And I, I know he's like, tries to have it behind the scenes where you don't know how much of a GM he really is being and how much he was really influential in, you know, forcing Davis to the Lakers essentially. Um, and I do think that's kind you know, it's sketchy in some ways to a lot of people across the league, but the truth is that's power and he's just super powerful. And that power extends beyond how he can drive into the paint. It's like the, the power he can, you know, imprint business wise behind the scenes. And like, that is where this project was such a success and it was such a tough undertaking and they did it. Um, and they did it in a strange season that, you know, I got the news on in the background on mute right now. CNN's talking right now about like, I see their Chiron or however you say that. Um, and you know, NBA bubble, uh, an unbelievable success, three months, zero positive tests, but just, I mean, what a weird season in general. And I think the fact that what the NBA did, I think the NBA helped him out a ton in this where they, first of all, they got, this playoff to happen because there was a, a long stretch where we thought he wouldn't get a title this year because nobody was going to get a title this right. year. As recently as, as September, right? Or late August, whenever it was in the first round when the Lakers were um, reportedly ready to walk out on the season in, in the conversations about you know the, the racial equality when the league stri- went on strike, essentially. You know, we don't even talk about that was a place where this season could have ended or they could have missed their opportunity to win a championship. I mean, it has been, I know we hammer this, but the number of obstacles that this season has thrown at the NBA, not just the Lakers, but at the NBA at large, but then how the Lakers have responded to each of those has been absolutely historic. Books will be written about this season. Many of our colleagues will make lots of money writing books about this season, which reminds me I need to get an agent. And we just need we just need to keep in perspective how incredible this really is. And, you know, one piece of history, and I've, I've written it, so Slater, you may know this, but maybe some of our listeners don't. The Lakers are only the third team since like the 50s to win a championship the year after being below 500. It's not an easy thing to do. Every team, every crappy team tries every year, and it doesn't happen. It's happened three times. It happened with the 08 Celtics after they added Garnett and Ray Allen, and it happened with the 1977 yeah, Trailblazers. you got to add mega talent. That's just what you got to do. And the 77 Trailblazers, listen, I'm an Oregon kid. That team is, like, very special, like, to my, like, development as a basketball person. But, like, that team is, like, a total lightning in a, a bottle. You know, Bill Walton completely, you know, pops off in 77 then the next year he comes back and it's supposed to be MVP but I mean that was an evolution they were crappy every year from expansion until 1977 when they beat you know Dr. J in the finals I mean it was insane so that's the only two times it happened before the Lakers won so I'm not of the camp of like this this title should be viewed historically as greater than other titles but I'm also don't like the opinion that like because it was the bubble because it was weird like this is an asterisk title either because particularly because of what the nba put on like like on the court like that was like pure really good playoff basketball now i know the ratings were down i know the lack of fans like does change some aspects of it you don't have to get on flights you don't have to deal with like a raucous you know road crowd in game six like they would have been in miami last night um but you also don't get your own home court advantage but i mean you know that was that was really good high level competitive basketball and the lakers proved they were this season's best team and yep. so that makes this title very legitimate in my opinion i completely agree and you know i think i don't think there needs to be an asterisk for it to convey 
what this finals was, what this season represented, what this champion was about. I think that, you know, history will remember that 2020 was the year where the finals were unlike any other finals. You know, I don't think you need an asterisk to say was played in a bubble in a pandemic. I think that history will remember this as, you know, what just the same as, you know, when you look at the the list of finals and you see 1972, you know, that was the first the first Lakers finals uh, win in Los Angeles. You know, whatever it is night when you see night when you see 98, you know, it was MJ's last uh, championship. You'll just know that 2020 was the year that LeBron and the Lakers won in a year that was unlike any other. I guess my main point on that, though, is like if if anyone wants to act like, you know, in the future, like, well, it was played in a bubble. It was weird. Nobody tried. It, or, you know, it's like, no, that was like really, that was playoff basketball. We watched playoff basketball. Epic series after epic series. I mean, Utah-Denver in the first round. I mean, those are all teams that, you know, we joked a lot about, well, nobody wants to stay in the bubble. These teams are going to want to lose in the first round. Nobody wants to actually stay in the bubble. Every team that was there and had a shot. And the Clippers. <laughs> but but that. that's the thing. Like, you know, there were different there were not the same challenges that past playoffs have provided like hey you got to go on the road and win a tough game six but there were different challenges and some teams succeeded some teams failed but they all faced the same ones and um you know the heat you know i guess handled that better than a lot of teams in the east the lakers handled it better than most of the teams in the west so um yeah, did you want to talk? Were you shifting the conversation to Davis? Because I did want to get into Davis a little bit. Yeah, I just wanted to do that real quick before we sign off for the last time in 2020. But where does he go from here? Now newly minted as a champion, obviously a free agent, potentially this, this uh, I keep on to say summer, but this offseason. Where do things go for Anthony Davis? Top five player in the league. Uh, pretty cemented, I feel no like. Question. Um, so, I mean, it, this was this is about his playoffs. He actually wasn't that good in the seeding games. Remember, he was like not shooting that well. He, he had a he had one good game against Gobert in the shoot in the seeding games. He was terrible against like the Pacers. It was just entering the and we had such questions entering the playoffs because it was like, hey, we haven't seen him do it here. He's had 13 career playoff games. Um, he just put together a 21 game playoff masterpiece. Now, was every single game great? No, but what he did in totality. He's highest plus minus, plus 184 in 769 minutes. They were, I believe it was at plus 21 in his 203 solo minutes without LeBron, which to me is what you could argue won the title for the Lakers. They were they outscored opponents when LeBron was on the bench. And if you look back even at LeBron's title teams in Miami and Cleveland, like that's not the case. Like they were just trying to tread water, stay at net zero when LeBron was on the bench. No, they were better with Davis on the court and LeBron on the bench than the flip side of that. So, like, that is a testament to the type of uh, solo star performance Davis had beyond, you know, obviously he won because LeBron was next to him. But also he he carried just as much on-court weight. Um, the versatility, lineup versatility he provided in the playoffs, I thought was c- continued to be on display where, yes, he he's the best center in the basketball. I think, uh, you know, we mentioned top five player. I think by far the best big um and he's the best center but he also can be a stretch four because he can shoot it and that allowed the lakers in certain matchups like denver was a matchup where you wanted dwight on the floor to be an irritant frank vogel could do that he could kind of try to stamp them as this big team but at any point because of davis's maneuverability could just be like i'll pull the plug on that caruso for example you're starting while we're going small but we're not really going small because davis is the best center of basketball um hit the way he shot it in the playoffs was 
I think, hit the next level of his game. Is he going to be a 50% mid-range shooter the rest of his career? Because if he is, he's Kevin Durant, basically. You know, because um, that's kind of what he was in the playoffs, I think. Um, he was over 80% in the restricted area. Like, he just crushed teams inside. And then you look on the defensive end. I mean, this title by the Lakers was won defensively. It was a team effort. It was Frank Vogel. It was LeBron committing from day one. But I would say Davis is the anchor. He's the reason number one it all worked because you always have him back there. And, I I mean, he's 27. Yeah, he had those kind of weird comments. What did you – I don't know what you thought about the free agency comments last night. He's coming back to the Lakers. That's that's the way. Yes. I mean, that's just happening. Emphatically so. I mean, he he has dodged questions on that front for um, the entire time he's been here. This could not have gone any better. Not just the championship, but the, the relationship between him and LeBron, the way LeBron has empowered him, the way the, Rob Palinka has made basically Anthony Davis a co-executive of this team. No, he's coming back. It's just I think he knows that he's trying not to back himself into any corners um, and, you know, get into questions, answers about opting out, not opting out. I think that's just a Rich Paul playbook. It, like, just it, don't. 100%. Yep. I mean, it, listen, it would have been great if he had just said, listen, we're going to sort that out in the next few weeks, but I'm coming back. If he'd said that, great. But you know what? That's for another day. Right now, it was the time to, c- to celebrate the championship. You know, it was to reflect on an incredible and incredibly uh, trying season. And you know, we're going to have a, we're going to have plenty of time to discuss what exactly Anthony Davis's max contract with the Lakers. Well, looks like. yeah, that's the thing that the NBA needs to sort out what max contracts look like going forward. Yep. You know, because of just all the financial uh, juggling that's about to take place. He's going to decide what length of year he wants a max deal, and that's just what he's going to get. But from a Lakers perspective, because of the trade they made, which was a risk, what if it goes disastrously this year? What if they don't win the title? A little similar to what happened to the Clippers, right, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard staring at uh, free agency next year. If it doesn't go well and then he's like, you know, I'm going to leave, then that is like, wow, what a what a disastrous move that ends up being. But because it's worked so well, not only do you get the title now, it seems like, you know, more likely than not, Anthony Davis will be a Laker the next five years, which means the Lakers are about to get Anthony Davis in years 27, 28, 29, 30, 31 of his life. That's And that is the prime, typically, of an athlete. And, I mean, it's kind of what I wrote last night, but, like, who are... How many players out there right now in the next five years would you rather have than Anthony Davis? In that five-year chunk, which is a large chunk in the NBA, would you rather have... I mean, Doncic, you could argue. Giannis, you could argue. I think that's about all you would argue. Alex Caruso, but you get both. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing that... I mean, listen, and LeBron isn't going anywhere. You know, I know he's going to be 36, but he is clearly still playing at just an exceptionally high level. Um, there's no reason to expect a sudden uh, downfall in in his ability and performance. You know, we'll probably see a gradual shift in the in the makeup of this team over the next couple of years, where you know AD becomes more of the real first option on the floor. But LeBron's going to remain a championship player. I think it's reasonable to expect that the Lakers are going to be competing for championships for the next several several years. This is a team that has has kind of found its way back to the top of the West in a way that doesn't feel like it's going to be a one-year thing. You've got Anthony Davis, and you, and who is a champion now, by the way. Now Anthony Davis is going to be attracting free agents in the way that LeBron attracts free agents, um, in the way Kawhi attracts free agents. So I think, you know, if you're a Laker fan, you can sit back and look forward to another five, six, seven years 
of being in the top of the West and in, in championship contention. So I think he's really going to be able to into the future when let's say like the LeBron era ages out, let's say LeBron in two years is gone. Um, he he would really attract a playmaking guard because he's the rare top five player in the modern age who isn't ball dominant, who isn't having to bring it up the court and wanting to run his own pick and rolls. He like does it differently. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's why him and LeBron work so well on the court, but he should attract the next level of, you know, guard superstar. If LeBron ever enters a phase where he either leaves or he decides, Hey, I'm going to retire, whatever. But, um, that's just, it's kind of makes an interesting pairing. You got a guy who's, who's the guy, who's the young guy in the league that, uh, when the rookie deal is up, Luca, no, Luca's going to sign, Luca's going to sign a big max. Uh, Um, just, I mean, man, that would be a nice pairing though. Wouldn't it like two years from now? Um, it's kind of what they're trying with Porzingis, but, um, you know, somebody's probably going to have to emerge if we're talking young guys, but you could also look at guys a little bit older than him, like a Damian Lillard, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. People love that conversation. Yeah. Harden at some point might be looking for something different. You know, I, again, I don't know how either of those two are going to age, you know, at this point they might age similarly to LeBron, even though LeBron's several years older, but it's interesting. And now he, like you said, he's a champion and he's wearing that Laker brand. And that Laker brand is again, not a laughing stock as it was the last half decade. So it is restored. Yeah. All right. Well, Anthony Slater, I want to thank you for everything you've done throughout this championship run since the Lakers got to the playoffs, all of your efforts, uh, coverage on The Athletic, uh, joining me here on the Forum Club week after week. We've had a lot of fun. Hopefully you're going to come back, but I think after this you are transitioning back to your primary duties with the Golden State Warriors, a team, by the way, that will also have something to say about the future of the path of, to the title in the West. California basketball is going to be real fun. You ha- you got the Lakers, Clippers, and Warriors all facing a tight window, right? They're all mm-hmm. with those superstars that are kind of like in desperation mode to try to get another title. And, and they all have proven title winners. So, yeah, it'll be fun next year. Yeah, looking forward to that. So thank you for all of your contributions to our Lakers coverage throughout the title run. I want to thank Brett Dawson, who started the season off as my co-host on, on this. Uh, was obviously a victim of um, the economics of the pandemic, but um, remains a great friend and a great journalist whose stories throughout this, this season are still available on The Athletic to Everyone who's listened over the course of this season, thank you. It has been a lot of fun. We're going to keep going into the offseason, obviously, so keep reading The Athletic. Obviously, you're not going to cancel your subscription to the Forum Club. We will we will be back. But uh, going to take a little time here, uh, let you guys celebrate, and then we'll uh, start talking about the 2021 season, what that might look like. So uh, for Anthony Slater, I'm Bill Oram. Thank you for listening, and congratulations to all of you who love the Lakers, who love reading about the Lakers. It's been a long time coming, and you guys deserve it.